Hey, welcome to another episode of Never a Dull Movie. I'm Father Chip Hines. And I'm Brian Swift. And today we got a kind of a mixed bag show. If you remember from the old TV show that I was a co-host of and that Brian was the producer of, sometimes we did that. We had a mixed bag of movies and stuff that we talked about that didn't really interrelate to each other. Um, And so today is kind of a mixed bag of topics. And, uh, you know... um, so well, we've missed the last two weeks. Yeah, we have. We try not to do that. However, there's been little to talk about, and yeah, I'd rather good, yeah dearth of stuff. Yeah. I'd rather wait until we have something to talk about than force oh. boring content I, on our loyal, loyal and passionate listenership. Excellent. I I, I agree with you a hundred percent. There's no nothing worse than t- turning on a podcast and having you know just the worst listening to the worst conversation even from people that you like yeah and uh you're thinking to yourself what, what are they doing and i would rather have a podcast that goes every two weeks or twice a month than something that goes every week and, and you're like what are they talking about you know and just you're shaking your head as you're driving down the street or sitting in your chair your favorite chair what listening to them but anyway going for a walk we're going for a walk, I yeah, can't, which I have done. Yeah. I can't just sit and listen to a podcast. No? No. I need oh, to, I can. It needs to be part of something else. It needs to be part of my commute, washing dishes, on the elliptical at the gym, going for a walk, hmm. mowing the lawn. And what I found is having a podcast to listen to makes me more likely to do those things. Sure. Like if it Like if I'm unmotivated. To go on the elliptical. Right. It'd be like, oh, well, hold on. Let me check my podcasts mm-hmm. and see if there's something I haven't listened to. Right. Something I'm excited about. Great. There's 45 minutes right there. Right. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I went up, went out for a walk recently and I was like, oh, no, I really want to go for a walk. Well, let me, I did the same thing. Oh, 45 minutes, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I yeah. Can, I can walk with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, what they say, the first step is always the hardest. Well. When you're done, I mean, I always... This I find is the, the thing. last step is the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I'm done doing anything like that, like t- you know, taking a long walk, going to the gym, going for a swim, mm-hmm. like anything, any any form of exercise. Uh, when I'm done and I'm tired, mm-hmm. I will. I feel it, uh, there's something that feels great. Like it is true that you know, well, there's endorphins. Whatever, whatever gets released, yeah, the yeah. endorphins that get released. I'm like, oh, I feel great. I'm so glad that oh, like in the middle of it, I'm just like, oh my god. Another, you know, you look at the timer, like another 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. But then when that 20, you know, when that 50 minutes or whatever you're going to do is over, it's, oh, you know, good, good I did that. Well, I, which is important because your health is invaluable and we're oh, finding about it. Yeah. We're finding out about it more when unexpected things like coronavirus come along. That's and it sure. is affecting people, sadly, but it's also affecting the movies, Father Chip. That's right, Brian. And, uh, you know, both of us have had our own health issues over the course of the last few years and struggled our way through them. Luckily, nothing viral. No, nothing viral. That's scary. Um, And and you're right. Viral infections can be very scary. Um, You know, the the coronavirus is affecting the movies in the in the way that they're pushing some of the releases out. Yeah. Um, The most. Well, the one that concerns me the most was james bond yeah and they pushed it back what six months maybe seven yeah i think it's back to november to november yeah and that um that kind of it kind of bugged me because i was like looking forward to seeing the movie Mm. and i was all pumped up to see it um daniel craig hosted saturday night live last week as a a promotion for the movie and uh you know so it was it was coming it was like gonna be it was imminent yeah it was imminent yeah and so i was really looking forward to it i was pumped for it and then the announcement came that they were pushing it to november and i was so angry yeah and i was like you know because quite honestly i'm selfish when it comes to stuff like that i want to see the movie i just want to see it and and that's a long time to wait when you're is when when it when when it's right there when it's on your doorstep be like "Mm." and then all of a sudden they shove it away from you and you're like oh man come on yeah. And, uh, you know, but I understand their thinking in the sense that there are places in the world that aren't going to be able to see it because they're not going to be able to go to the theater. Well, and also and, and but also it's a business decision. That's what um, I mean. Well, I mean, if in, it's an American business decision because yeah, 
I mean, it you was, know, whatever. So, you know, they need every person who wants to go see a James Bond movie to go see this movie. They need it to make money. It's an expensive movie. Of course. And I don't know. I mean, they got they got people who are much better at math than I am saying. And I. I mean, I don't know what the percentage would be, but let's just say for the sake of argument that they estimate that 5% of the American movie going public that would go see a James Bond movie will not go see a James Bond movie in fear of contracting coronavirus in the theater. Right, right, right. I well, mean, that 5% makes might, you know, on, on their, in their business, that might just be way mm-hmm. too much. So let's yeah. move it to a place where people can go see it without fear. Now, that's, that's, um, that's great, but that's also wishful thinking. I hope that everything's done as soon as possible. I but what's to agree. say? What's to say that November comes right, and we're still in the middle of a widespread of illness? Well, we probably won't be, but that's beside the point. I mean, I'm listen again. I'm I'm not trying to scare. I you know I'm just. Well, yeah, and I'm I'm of the mind honestly that this is a partial. Obviously, it's a serious situation, but partially this is a media-created issue as well. There's a lot of hype and scaremongering going out amongst the media, and it's and it's it's making people overly nervous about this. That's my opinion. Though I've heard in formats that aren't mainstream media, on the Joe Rogan podcast this mm. week, he had a infectious disease expert on. I saw that he had the guy on. I haven't listened to it yet. Well... This person suggests in a very credible – in the seg- segment that I listen to, mm-hmm. a very credible way that we aren't concerned enough. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and essentially what his argument is is that no, you're not going to be completely safe from it until there's a vaccine. Of course. Right. That's – I could have told you that. I'm not an epidemiologist or whatever they called. A scientist. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> a doctor. I don't know. Yeah, whatever his, yeah. Um, But so, you know, there's people who go on Mm -hmm. podcasts like Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan gets very credible people. And and the other thing about Joe Rogan is when he brings people on his podcast that are experts, he asks them hard questions. He challenges. He doesn't just take what they say as possible. No, I know. I I agree with you. And um, But the thing is this. It's people that are in certain risk groups – need to be extra careful. Yeah. People like that are generally healthy, mm. um, that are generally um, younger than say mm. 50, don't have to be freaked out. Yeah. And I think, and kids don't have to be freaked out. Which is a blessing. It, it is, especially for a guy like you who's yes. a parent. And and so I, I think to myself, well, yeah, the people that are affected by this or, or could be affected by this mostly, need to take precautions. Yeah. The elderly, the sick, those with underlying conditions that might get enhanced by this well, thing. But the rest of us are not going to necessarily be affected by it. One thing that he pointed out that, in his opinion, made the United States in a better situation than China mm-hmm. is the rate of smoking in China. Oh, and I didn't even think about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. He's like, he said that, you know, there's a large portion of specifically men over a certain age that have smoked their whole life. Oh, that makes a difference. I would it imagine. makes a huge difference because yeah. it's a respiratory. Right. It's a respiratory infection. Right, and, right. Um, you know, he's like, you know, we're lucky in that, you know, over the course of the decades, we've done a pretty good job at stomping out yeah. the rate of smoking. Yeah. There's, I, I, honestly, you, you hardly ever see a person smoking anymore. Yeah. I mean, and that's weird. Yeah. I mean, as someone see, who grew up in the 70s and 80s and saw people smoking all the time. Yeah. And certainly when I first uh, was in college and you'd go out to have a maybe a, an adult beverage with your buddies, um, the bars were completely just my. I wasn't, I wasn't alive then. But my understanding is it wouldn't even need to be an adult beverage if you wanted to go to the malt shop. Oh, the malt shop. Yes. <laughs> you, you could. I wasn't alive when people were going to the malt shops. <laughs> okay, either, but, but great. Even even better. My understanding is you'd have the person making oh, yeah. your malt. Oh yeah. With a butt in their oh, mouth. Oh yeah. People, the cooks used to smoke while they were cooking. I, I I saw it. I worked in kitchens when I was a kid, and 
I saw people smoking as they were cooking, and I and I had a, my my grandfather uh, on my mother's side was a smoker until the day he died, and you know it, it was he, he just did everything smoking, and he was a cook like like he was an amateur cook, and uh, but he smoked everywhere and did mm. everything smoking. It was amazing. Like, yeah, you know. And, and it's amazing and, that he lived as long as he did. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, and that's amazing that there's some people that some for whatever their makeup is, they're mm. still going to make it to a ripe old age. Yeah. But uh, to get back on topic, yes. one movie that I saw that's getting pushed back because of coronavirus seems to be they needn't have bothered, and it's um, <laughs> Peter Rabbit 2. Oh, they did? They pushed that back? They pushed that back. Seemingly to me... The only purpose for that movie coming out in the theater is for an Easter yeah. crowd. Right, And right. if it's not going to come out around Easter time. Then why bother? Yeah. Yeah. Just put it, you know, send it to Netflix or something. Yeah. They probably should just send it to Netflix. People would see it. Yeah. But, I mean, if they push it back to October, people aren't going to go see Peter Rabbit yeah, 2 in October. I'm not. I, would, I wouldn't I see, would it see it anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but actually, I, mean, I did see a commercial for it the other day. I, I forget where it was. And it, it looked Mildly amusing. Now, I probably only I probably saw the funniest parts in the whole movie right there in the yeah. commercial. But it was. Uh, but James Corden's in it. Um, he's Peter Rabbit. Okay, and he's not unfunny. Sometimes. Yeah, I I, I don't find him to be particularly entertaining. Okay, that's well, fine. That's me. That's just you. Lots of people find him funny. But you watched something recently at home, Father Chip, yes, that I you did. would like to talk about. I watched uh, a movie called Spencer Confidential on Netflix. It just came out last week, and it is. And when I say this, I am I emphasize the word loosely, loosely based on um, the character Spencer, created by Robert B. Parker, the novelist, and it is uh, loosely. Yeah, based. that was on when I was a kid. I can remember Spencer my Spencer for Hire. Yeah, I can remember yeah. my parents watching that. Great show. And 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 Robert B. Parker, the author, was involved with that show uh, as a consultant. So there was lots of accuracy to that show um, and to the subsequent movies with Robert Yurick in them. Uh, he, Robert Yurick was Spencer. Mm-hmm. Like when I read the books about Spencer, I think like I have the image of Robert Yurick in my... Did you read a Spencer book before you saw the show? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I read the books from the... From when I was a kid, and all of a sudden the show came on. So, so yeah. when you saw the show, was it because you know the the difference between reading and, and watching something is your your imagination. You know, yeah, you've got someone's face right. and their voice. Did he fit into your preconceived? Um, yeah, idea? he did. He did him yeah. and Avery um, Brooks as Hawk okay. um, totally fit exactly what I thought these guys would be like. Okay. And they did such a great job. And like I said, Robert B. Parker was a consultant on the show. So Yurik and, and Brooks both had him to access as far as the characters and how the characters w- were in the books and how they how they their, their mannerisms, the way they talked. I mean, everything was perfect in that. It was the perfect show about the stories from those books. And, and so it's, it's Boston said, is it? Yeah, it was filmed in Boston. And I can remember... My, um, I was in college actually when when that series came out, and when my dad was working downtown in Boston, he every once in a while out in college, he he'd either call me or write write me a letter, which you know that shows how old I am. Hey, I was in uh, I was on so and so street the other day. I was walking around and uh, on my lunch break, and they were filming Spencer for Hire, so I stood around and watched it. And I'm like, lucky guy, yeah. you know. And and then uh, when I was older, much older actually, I I was. Uh, I went out to a place called the Warren Tavern in Charlestown, Massachusetts, and in the Warren Tavern, which is a goes back to the Revolutionary War times, by the way, it's where uh, uh, like Sam Adams and Paul Revere and those guys hang out. Um, it, they have plaques of like who has been at the pub, and so they've got. Sam no, no. Adams and yeah, but they got little brass because there's a lot. There's a lot of them, yeah. and so yeah, but but they have Robert Urich, Avery Brooks, and so those guys because they filmed a lot in Charlestown. Yeah. They, they spent time. They spent time at the Warren Tavern, and the Warren Tavern has immortalized that. And uh, I, I I really liked that. And that's and that was one of the reasons I kept going back to the Warren Tavern because I was like, 
if it was good enough for Robert York and Avery <laughs> Brooks, it's good enough for Father Chip. So now, so decades th- later, this movie comes out, and when it was announced, I was kind of excited uh, a little bit uh, because I love Spencer. I love the character. I read every book. Uh, I've even continued reading the books after Robert B. Parker died, and they brought in uh, new authors to um, Newton, a new author or huh. two to continue the stories. Um, anyway, I so I was like a little bit excited, and then I I heard that Mark Wahlberg was going to be Spencer. Now, I have nothing against Mark Wahlberg. I happen to like him as an actor. I happen to like some of his movies, not all of them, but some of them, and. So this has nothing to do with any sort of like hate for uh, for uh, Mark Wahlberg. He is too short and too young to be Spencer, and uh-huh. that was uh, a problem for me. Um, I so when I heard that casting choice, I was concerned. Mm. Then I heard they were casting another. Um, uh, I forget his name now. Uh, for another guy to play Hawk. He was a, he's a young. I'll look it up for you. you keep he's on. a young guy. And he, he's not a bad actor. Again, uh, good actor, um, but and big enough certainly to play Hawk, but too young. Um, and they changed the all the backstories for the characters for Spencer and Hawk. They changed all their backstories. They're the Spencer Winston Duke. Winston Duke. Um. So, uh, Hawk was like a young guy. In his twenties, maybe thirties, probably twenties, and he is, you know, growing up in Boston. Well, that's fine. I think Hawk might have grown up in Boston, but he might not have, and you don't really know. And you don't need to know. And you don't need to know. But so now he's like this guy who's just starting out. You know, he's not Hawk. He's not the Hawk you know. What from it the books. sounds like, like again, I never. It's watched, a total reboot. I haven't watched the show and I haven't seen the movie. But what it sounds like you're saying is. They're expecting, with no evidence, that this is going to be such a hit that there's going to be a whole series, yeah. and that you better know right the backstory. Which, as a film fan, that that irks me a little bit. Yes, it, it, the the presumption of yes. you're going to love this so much, right, that we're going to just immediately start building now, in in a hypocritical way. Every Marvel movie does that. Yeah, and I enjoy most of them. Right. I agree. And, you know, but they, they changed Spencer's backstory, too. Spencer didn't grow up in Boston. He ended up in Boston, but he didn't grow up in Boston. He grew up in the, in the, in the West, like in Wyoming or Montana or someplace like that. It's a tale of a transient hero. Yeah. And he, and he um, you know, he had been in the Army. And, but and at one time, he had been a Boston cop. However, in this movie, um, he's a Boston, he was a former Boston cop. But he was also a an ex-con, which Spencer never was um, in the books and never will be, I imagine. He, uh, he, he spent five years in jail for something that was ridiculous and uh, that he shouldn't have, you know, it, it, you know, it was, it was, it's part of the movie. I don't want to ruin the whole movie did for he you. Have a, did he have a joint in his pocket? No, no, nothing like that. He, he was a cop and his boss was a dirty cop. His captain was a dirty cop. He was a sergeant. And uh, they ended up getting into a fight and uh, over the captain had been beating his wife and he was dirty and he was, it was the whole thing. But anyway, he ended up, he ended up, he ends up because of these dirty cops, he ends up in jail um, and he uh, ends up in gen- general population, which, which would is never happen, great. which would never happen to yeah. a cop. Yeah. They would never put it a, a cop in. He, they, because so they, you got to talk, just for the people listening who might not understand, general population for a cop would mean that there was a certain segment of the prison population that would put a target on that absolutely. cop's back simply for the fact that they're a cop. Or that, that and there is potentially, there are potentially uh, people you put away. Yes. So you are doubly in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he survives five years in general population, which goes to his toughness. Um, and we catch up with him as he's being released. Um, his longtime girlfriend, Susan Silverman, in the books, is nowhere to be seen. He's got this other ex-girlfriend who 
is a crazy Boston chick, like just crazy Southie Boston chick that you, the typical, like stereotypical, actually stereotypical South Boston crazy chick who loves him so much she yells at him and, you know, she loves him so much she's throwing his junk out the window. Super volatile. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so it's just total, you know. So you didn't enjoy this because. I I didn't enjoy it because of that. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, it's not a bad movie. That's the thing. Okay, so that might answer my question. But do you think that somebody with no history with the character. Yes, they would like it. Would like it. They would. Okay. Somebody with no history of the character would absolutely like this movie. It's a pretty good movie. Um, Peter Berg is the director. Yeah, he does a lot of Wahlberg stuff. He does a lot of Wahlberg movies. And he they capture Boston pretty well. It was all filmed in Boston. Mm. And uh, so it was. It, it is totally worth it for that. And, uh, you know, if you have no history with the character, you will like this. Because the Spencer character is, even played by Wahlberg, is likable. And uh, see, I'm see, I'm fifty fifty on Wahlberg. Like, there's there's plenty of stuff that he's been in that I like, but then he does a lot of stuff that I would have no interest in. Right. And then there's this, and fairly or unfairly, there's two auras around him mm-hmm. that I cannot separate. Okay. One is his involvement the of the producing of the show Entourage. Okay. Which. So the entourage is based loosely, yeah, loosely, loosely on based what, on his life, on his life. Yeah, and that, like, I, I just that that show was so. I, some people may love it. I, I know there were it. a lot of people who loved it. I was, I used to watch ooh. it all the time. The guy, the character Johnny Drama, is a based on a real guy, and uh, it's funny because uh, he, uh, my brother, is a police officer in the South Shore and uh, has met. Johnny Drama, the real Johnny Drama, several times. Okay. And says he's a kind of a character. In the course of his duty? Not necessarily in the course of his duty, but in the course of life. Yeah. And uh, sometimes may he, he may have been on a detail or something. And he sure. Did. Anyway, he uh, the guy's kind of turned his life around, but he's a character. He's okay. just like a, a funny dude, you know, Boston the, guy. The other aura around Mark Wahlberg that I just cannot get past is his post-9-11 comments. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, he made a number of comments being like, well, if I was on those planes, it wouldn't have happened that way. Oh, he did? I'd never heard that. Yeah. And he, I mean, that's, that's a, that is a quote. I don't have the whole thing, but I mean. He said that? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. And it's kind of like, well, I, I just don't think, first of all, that's so <laughs> egotistical. Right. And, and presumptuous. And, yeah. And also one thing that, he isn't taken into if the people on some of those planes knew what was actually going to end up happening they would have tried they would to have stop done it something yeah. but he thinks he's a superhero he thinks he's a superhero and in in that way in my again i'm interpreting his statement mm-hmm. you're denigrating the people who yeah did nothing right i i can see what he's I can see I, what you're saying you about that. Yeah. The listeners I, can't see the air quotes I just put around. <laughs> that. <laughs> That's right. No, I saw your air quotes. I also I, I also see what you're saying as far as like I understand your point of view. Yeah. I I I did not hear those quotes when uh, when he said them. So I, I'm surprised. Um, see, I learned something today. Yeah. How about that? You learn something new every day, folks. Yeah. It's important. Um, it doesn't make me dislike him at all. However, um, I think that, that those were misplaced. You know, and then there – and again, it doesn't make me dislike him. Again, it's – it's He was great in The Fighter. The, he was he's, – he's a very talented actor. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times he takes, he takes on uh, very interesting projects. And I also think he's one of these guys very much like Brad Pitt in that he will use his status to get stuff made. Oh, yeah. That otherwise wouldn't get made. Definitely. So things that he thinks has merit but – for whatever reason, again, talking about the business people at the studios, it doesn't check off this box or this right. box or this box. Well, what if Mark, what Wahlberg if Mark Wahlberg's in it? in it? Oh, well, now it checks off a bunch of boxes and we'll put some <laughs> money into it. So, exactly. Um, you know, <laughs> well, and, and 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 that's not to say, like about Wahlberg, that you know, uh, you know his his past indiscretions as a as a kid. As, yeah, some people have a big problem. with They that. have a big problem with that. I think. Um, I believe he's apologized for that and he's, you know, and, and we should all. I think he has and I think he's made some restitution. And sure. 
It doesn't change the fact that the guy's blind in like one eye or something. Yes. But it, you know, I think but we should all be. He he's worked. It's not just right. Unlike other people who have had indiscretions, terrible things in their past, and have just said sorry. Right. He has. I think he's worked to be better and taken responsibility, and I think right. that goes a long way. So you should forgive. It him. does. So as far, but so interesting that you're mentioning. And, and oh, sorry. Before we move on to you. No, no, no. Point. I'm not moving on yet. Um, before you stay, state your next sentence, <laughs> he. I want to get this out for our Catholic audience. He's a practicing uh, Roman Catholic who goes to Mass. I think he's a daily attendant. I think he... Or I think as, he, as much as he possibly I can I think he, as much as he possibly can, he is a daily communicant, communicant, and he is absolutely there on Sundays, and he's raising his family, Catholic, has 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 said that there there was a Boston priest who, in his youth... Uh, put him on the straight and narrow after a lot of that stuff happened who who brought him along and you know and so he has a great respect for the priesthood and a great respect for his faith and I think that's important it's not to it doesn't excuse anything but as you said he did um, apologize and tried to make him and has tried to make himself a better person he's also a guy who's married with kids and has been married to the same woman forever now in Hollywood years at mm-hmm. least and and doesn't seem to have any you never see like him and his wife in the tabloids or anything mm-hmm. like that so I just think a guy like that I cut a lot of slack I cut him a lot of slack on that ridiculous Boston Bombers movie he made with Peter Berg that was insulting it was it was it was it was misguided and it's like the only if, if, if people don't know what we're talking about is uh, the movie Patriot's Day Patriot's which Day. which I will say, as as a whole, mm-hmm. is good. Yes, but I agree. in parts, it's the, my major problem with it is the he the way the movie is structured is nothing good can happen unless it is credited to Mark Wahlberg's character. Right. Mark Wahlberg's character is a is not a real person, nope. and it's just there was a scene in that movie, and I was in the theater. <laughs> Can only imagine where, where this is going. <laughs> where he's, it's towards the end, and we know what happened. Right. He's a Boston cop. Right. And you see him, and he's cruising the streets of Watertown. Right. With a flashlight on people's decks. Right. And I said in the theater out loud, which is, I'm like, oh no. Because a Boston cop would not go to Watertown. There well, was no reason for them to think the bombers were in Watertown at that time. The the only – I'll give them a pass on that part because the cops in all the towns and cities were cooperating with each other and helping each other. And they were – there were Boston cops in Watertown when things went down as there were probably Watertown cops in Boston and blah, 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 whatever. It's, for people who don't know the geography, it's very close. It's very close. So anyway, um, I'll give him a pass on that. But what I don't want to give him a pass on is the fact that, he, like you you were saying, he he was – it was like he was some miraculous superhero who was appearing at every single major event that happened in the story of the bombing in Boston. And that just – is impossible. I understand why they did it because usually you need a central character who you can, you know, say. But in a movie like that, you could focus on different characters yes. at different places, yes. and it could have been done just as well. And, and but you as, know who does that very well is the director Steven Soderbergh. I was just going to say that Steven Soderbergh will make movies that are sprawling, yes, and have multiple characters in multiple places. Yep. Do, and 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 it it's a very cohesive through line. Absolutely. He juggles characters very well. He does. And I think Peter Berg does Maybe not he doesn't. have Peter Berg has that it's the same thing with the same year he made um oh the one about Deepwater Horizon. Oh yeah, yeah. That I and didn't see. I, I saw it. Not it's, good. Uh no, it's not good. Okay. But, well I'll tell you what when the, it ends with Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg underwater capping the well. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's what I thought it was going to be. But, like the explosion happens, and then it's like it's a long section of him and some woman on the rig, yeah, trying to get off the rig. Okay, like oh, it's a long time, and then they get off, and then they're in the hospital. Okay, and he sees his family. That's the end of the movie. And I was, 
thinking to myself, they, I'm like, this event that you're depicting. Chronicling. That you're chronicling was like, that was the beginning. Right. That wasn't the end. Exactly. Exactly. So I was like, ah, it's like. Yeah. That's... Like, oh, you jumped into the spot in the water where there wasn't fire. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's... Listen. I just think, and and I, it this could have been to- much better. Is what this you're is saying. this is yes, and I think this is a topic that me and you have talked about a couple times already on the show. Was that there's some actors who would benefit greatly from getting into an area of their career where they can take supporting roles mm-hmm, and sure. not have to be the center of attention, right? And I think Wahlberg is. Very much, and he would benefit from having kind of a Matthew McConaughey situation happen to him, mm. where he appears in like for a period of time, he appears in a bunch of short to medium length supporting roles that he crushes it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Wahlberg's there yet. I think he is such a bankable star still, believe mm-hmm. it or not, that I think he's he's got the opportunity to still make some movies and maybe even make some movies that he really wants to make. I, you know, I think he wanted to make this Spencer movie. Unfortunately, I think they ruined it, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. Uh, so I think, yeah, I'm not sure he's there yet. Interestingly enough, someone who is there, and but who also can star in a movie, is Christian Bale. You know, I mean, Christian Bale was not... Christian, the... Christian Bale has always been willing to... Yeah. To not be the center of attention. Yeah, I agree. And as a matter of fact, the one time that he had some public controversy on the Terminator movie mm-hmm. was when he was kind of the star of the movie. Yeah, well, I mean, he was a star of Batman, but he was behind the mask. And, right. And you know, it's like, well, we they okay, you've been in that. Now we're going to you're the action movie franchise guy now, and right. I don't think that's what he wanted his career to be. Right. No, I think you're right. But you know, he was he he was. Uh, really a supporting actor in The Fighter with Wahlberg. Yes, and but he, he overshone. He was really, he was really incredible. excellent in that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wish they had, now having seen it, I wish they hadn't made it, but <laughs> um, they did. And uh, I'm sure many people will enjoy it, people that aren't big Spencer fans like me. And uh, that's good. I, I want people to enjoy the things that they watch. I, I, I don't like it when a movie's bad. I, I really... It makes me angry when a movie is bad. Sure. Especially when you're anticipating it being good. Right. I had, honestly, I knew how this movie was. I knew that they had taken liberties well, with the backstory you. and I good still watched it. Good for you for giving it a shot. I did. I'm going to pivot. All right. Pivoting. Topic. So, pivot. So as you know, I'm a big Stephen King fan. You are. And I'm of the opinion, and I believe we talked about this before, that uh, Stephen King should not just be thought of as the horror guy. I think when Stephen King create crafts a story, he's using horror elements as like a big shiny object. Okay. To get deeper uh, topics talked about, and I think a lot of them, like some of them, involve faith. Some of them involve the human condition. Mm-hmm. He had a book out recently called The Outsider that was adapted into an HBO series. Right. And I can well, still see it. You can still see it. No, yeah. It finished last Sunday. Okay. And I don't I, care if you ruin it for me either. I really, really enjoyed it. There's some impressive statistics mm-hmm. on Stephen King. I've, I've compiled a few here. Okay. These are the adaptations of his works by decade. Okay. Or roughly. Roughly. These movies came out of books that he and he he came onto the scene in the early seventies, right? So from nineteen early ish. So from nineteen seventy six to nineteen eighty nine, these are adaptations, film or television, Mm -hmm. of his stories: Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Cujo, The Dead Zone, Christine, Children of the Corn, Firestarter, Stand by Me. The Running Man and Pet Cemetery, and those are just the ones that have somewhat of a cultural footprint. I mean, there's some of those that don't. Like obviously, some Carrie, of those are bad movies. Obviously, Carrie, The Shining, yeah, uh, Stand by Me, Stand by Me is an Stand excellent by movie. Me, those, and those, not a horror movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, some people are still shocked when they find that out. Yeah, but that's what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 
adaptations. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, the, he's prolific, but there's, I think there's, so this is the 90s. Movies and TV. Misery, Needful Things, The Shawshank Redemption, Dolores Claiborne, Thinner, App Pupil, The Green Mile, uh, Tommy Knockers, and The Stand on TV. Yep. Some I mean, good stuff in there. There's some really good stuff in there. Shawshank's some, one of those. Some Oscar winners. Misery. Yeah, Misery was excellent. Shawshank. I don't know if Shawshank won any Oscars. I'm not sure if it, it did. was up for a bunch. I'm not sure if it did, but that's one of those movies you just can't turn off. The Green Mile. And a, another good movie yeah. with Tom Hanks. In the uh, in the aughts, he had a slowdown. This was post. Oh, po- this was oh. post his being hit by a van. Oh right, right. If right. you recall, I recall that. Yeah. Um, Hearts in Atlantis. I don't know if you've seen Hearts. I in never Atlantis. saw that. Uh, it was. It's really good. It's quite touching. It's got um, Anthony Hopkins in it okay. and uh, the late Anton Yelkin as a child. Oh yeah. Uh, Dreamcatcher. Uh, he was Chekhov in Spock, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, in, amongst uh, other in things, Star Trek rather. Yes. Whatever. Shut up. Read your your list. Dreamcatcher. I don't know if you've seen that one. No. The Secret Window. No. That's with Johnny Depp. 1408 with John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. No. And The Mist. Jay Fadden loves The Mist. Really? Actually, no. Does he love The Mist or does he? He likes the book, but he doesn't like the movie. Ah. And that, so so then recently, so one of the things I think is interesting is, again, we saw his, his career, he had this. From 76 to the end of the 90s, mm. it was constantly there. And then it went, went away for a while. But he's had a resurgence from 2010 to 2020 so far. He's had 11-22-63, Castle Rock, which he didn't write, but is based on his yep. works in general. Right. The Outsider, a remake of Carrie, a remake of Pet Cemetery, and the movie Dr. Sleep, which I talked about before. Right. And didn't he just have a remake of uh, – isn't there a remake of uh... – and then there was the, the stand movie. coming. Sorry, up? I didn't put that. Yeah, so the stand is coming out again yeah. on EB, CBS All Access. Oh, okay. Is it going to be a TV show? Yeah, it's going to be a series. I see. Okay. Um, I hope they get it right because they didn't get it fully. I remember seeing it as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, the original TV series, and it was that the one with uh, the kid from uh, Sixteen Candles, Rob Lowe. Oh no, Rob Lowe was no. in it. Oh, Rob Lowe was in it. I was thinking of uh, Gary Sinise, Molly Ringwald, Rob Lowe. Um, they were in a TV series. Yeah, The Stand, a miniseries. Oh, it was a miniseries. It was a miniseries. Oh, oh, oh. There was a. He had a show with uh, Anthony Michael Hall. The Dead Zone. The Dead Zone. Yeah, that was a remake of The Dead Zone, which was the first one was with Christopher Walken in right. the Anthony right. Michael Hall role. And and then um, the uh, didn't he didn't they do a, a movie about uh, the Dark Tower? They did do a movie about the Dark Tower, but it was, was okay. It so, so here's the interesting thing about that. So, the way that they wanted to do the Dark Tower, and Ron Howard was involved mm-hmm. in the Dark Tower, and the way he wanted to do it because Ron Howard's that, been involved with a lot of yeah. Stephen King material. And Rob Reiner too. Rob Reiner, Rob Reiner yeah. named his production company after Stephen King's fictional town, Castle I see, Rock. I see. I didn't Castle know. Rock Entertainment is named after. I didn't. I because didn't I think realize Rob, that there was a connection there. Yeah, yeah. I think Rob Reiner's first hit. I don't know if it was his first movie directed. Stand but by his me, first wasn't hit it? Was Stand by me, which is set yeah. set partially in Castle Rock. Okay. So right now, as we speak, there are seventeen more adaptations of his works in the works. Get out of here! Seventeen. That's incredible. He's prolific. He's he a must prolific be, writer. He must be the most adapted writer in the history of movies. I I mean I think it it he has it to could, be. it has to be research. I mean maybe Shakespeare. Well. Yeah, but even Shakespeare didn't write as much as Stephen King. This is true. He's he's very he's, prolific. Um, so I want to talk about The Outsider okay. because it's the most recent thing. And in in it, his themes, because so so what this show is about is it's set in Georgia. And there is a child murder and a local highly thought of citizen is arrested. And the first two episodes are about conflicting evidence. There's ev- I think I said this to you before. Yes. You there's evidence. There, yes. There's abundant DNA evidence that he was the perpetrator. But then there is physical evidence that shows that he was in a – he was 60 miles away. Couldn't be there. He couldn't have possibly been there. Well, it turns out throughout the course – so there's these two main characters. There's Ralph Anderson, who's the detective. Mm-hmm. And there's a private investigator – that the defense lawyer hires named Holly Gibney. Okay. 
Uh, Ralph is played by Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, yeah. Who I think you would know was he was in one of the Star Wars prequels. I think he was, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. Australian but... actor. I like him a lot. Okay. Sounds like a good uh, And yeah. Cynthia Erivo Don't plays. Know her. She's a very new actress, but okay. very talented. She was just nominated for uh, Best Actress for Harriet this past oh, year. Okay. She played Harriet Tubman. Okay. All right. And in these characters, them being. It, it it plays to one of Stephen King's recurring themes is skepticism versus belief. Mm-hmm. And the detective is very, very skeptical. He keeps saying, all I'm interested in is facts, evidence. Right. And every even in the face of everything that he's seeing being in like infactual. Like they just like the facts that he's shown cannot wash out, mm-hmm. but he refuses to. And then it's this other person who's, well, maybe we should think outside the box. Right. Well, it turns out that the monster in this scenario is they give it a very unfortunate name. Uh-oh. No. <laughs> so. Is it safe for air? Oh, yeah, it's okay. safe for air. It's just, it's silly, and they say it a lot. Oh, I don't like that. And it's based on, it's based on, so essentially, essentially, it's a, me and my wife watching the show, we call them the Goblin King. That's not the name. But it was this <laughs> villain who, this this entity that would take on, it could it could mimic a person. I see. Okay. Take on their life. That's interesting. Commit a crime. And then start shifting into another person. They had to have, they had to like, by scratches, they needed some sort of DNA. Can I ask a question? Yes, you may. So when they are the character that they have turned into, the person they've turned into, are they then leaving DNA as if it is from that person? Yes. So they're almost like their whole DNA changes. Yes. They, the, the, okay. the, the thing becomes over the course. So basically every 24 days, it has to change into somebody else. It changes into somebody else and feeds and then lingers for the time before it switches again. I see. To feed off the grief of everybody involved in what they've done. Oh, that sounds terrible. It's terrifying. Yeah. Is, uh, what's the name of the creature? You have to tell us now. Oh, so in Spanish lore, which is the name they go by because is El Cuco. El Cuco. El Cuco. I love it. So there's a bunch. Of, so here's the thing. Here's <laughs> it the thing. Sounds that's like just, a character in a comic. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing that's just it's teeth grating about that is you've got a bunch of white actors playing Southerners. Yeah. Saying El Cuco. El Cuco. Yeah. Right. It's just oh, it's like it's just oh, that doesn't it doesn't sound right. It just sounds. It not only does it not sound right, it sounds wrong. Yeah, that sounds so funny. Yeah, right. And then, but does it help with the uh, terrifying parts of like comic relief? So one of the things that he points out, or is pointed out by the characters, is once once something is named, yeah, it becomes less scary. Scary. Yeah. Which I believe. So so Stephen King is from a Christian background. Mm -hmm. People don't realize this, but I think he was brought up Presbyterian. Okay. And he knows, he knows biblical lore. Like one, I think I've told you this. One of his favorite things to write about is the demon legion. Yeah, like it's yes. clear that he read that story in the Bible as a young kid, right? And was just like you know it, it, captivated. It is captivated, right? Great, great term. Um. So, <laughs> I, I, you would know this better than I do, but in the Catholic uh, exorcism. Yes. Knowing the name of the demon comes from that story. Okay. Like the importance. Yeah. My but, understanding yeah, right. is that. Yeah. Legion. You Legion wanna, is our name. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. when an exorcism is being or the rite of exorcism includes trying to extract the name. Right. Because once you have the name, you have broken. Uh, uh, there's power. Yeah. It's about. The detectives slow, like he fights it. He fights it through. There's ten episodes. It's not until the eighth episode where he's willing to entertain the idea that this is going on. Okay, 
But you find out through that that he's also suffering severe grief. He had a son that died when he was 14 years old from leukemia or some cancer. Okay. It's not leukemia. And can't let it go. And that's another thing. Like the losing of his son doesn't make sense to him. Mm-hmm. So like the theme of the show really is like the accepting of the unexplainable, okay. which I feel is another term for faith. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the finding of the finding of faith. So anyways, yeah. the show ends and uh, my wife, it, she was like, that's a little unsatisfying. And then they had a post credit sequence. Oh. And it could go on. I see. A couple things that I wrote down and my observations about Stephen King and his thoughts and his writing. One of the things that I think make him so adaptable and so popular is I think at his core, Stephen King knows people mm-hmm. and he knows them in the good ways and the bad ways. I yes. think he is very observant. I agree with that. Um, bad characters in his story can earn goodness mm-hmm. and good characters in his story can earn badness. It's right. very realistic. It's very relatable. Right. You look at, uh, let me just pick off, let me just pick off a, uh, uh, a story here. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. right? Red in Shawshank Redemption, played by Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman, is a murderer. Right. As he says, I'm the only only guilty man in Shawshank, which right. is facetious. Right. It's a joke, yeah. The Shawshank Redemption is not about Andy. Right. The Shawshank Redemption, the term redemption in that title. It's, it's about Red. It's about Red. Yeah. And... I believe that there is a deep belief in the power of redemption, in the power of... I agree with In that. his writing, it's nobody's lost. Right. Everybody can... Change. Change for the good or for the bad. I think that like really gets people going. I think one of the things that makes him adaptable is his dialogue. He's master dial- with dialogue. And he yeah. gets, he's a master of knowing how people sound. Yeah. And he's he, gotten better as he's gotten older with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for example... Uh, Eleven twenty two sixty three. Have you ever? You, do you I, know of the story? I know the story. I didn't see it. It it hits me right where I live because it's a time. Oh, you're tra- the big Kennedy. It's a time travel guy. story about trying to go back in time and stop the Kennedy right, assassination. Right, right. But it's so different than any other time travel story in that there's this. He doesn't come up with a machine. There's this isn't purposeful. There's this like anomaly portal. Okay. And it brings you to the place that it is on at a specific moment on a specific day. You can come back and you lost two minutes. Okay. But if you go, if you, if you come back into the future, you've lost two minutes. But when you go back, it's always the same place in the same day. So you could live there for years, come back. It's two minutes. And you've lost two minutes in the future. And then you go back and it resets. You oh. like, there's nothing. Interesting. Yeah. He's he takes tropes and uses them in such interesting interesting ways. He does. He does. No, that's that's absolutely spot on with him. So yeah. I guess what I'd say to our listeners is, and my point, and I'm kind of like stumbling over it because I'm I'm such a fan, but when I read stuff of his, yes, the parts that are supposed to chill you chill you. Mm-hmm. But I always come up with a more warmer feeling. Um, he, he has this, he has this belief in community and, and faith in community. And a lot of his stories, the villain cannot be defeated until a group comes together, mm, bands right, together right, around right, each right. other. That's true. And in the dark tower, he started using this term. It, it originated from the dark tower, which is like a fantasy series. So right. it's called a cartet. Okay. So Ka is like, Essentially, the Holy Spirit. All right, it's kind of karma. The Holy Spirit is a bunch of things, rip, 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 you know, roll up into one. Katet is a group of people who are kind of working on solving the problem. Yeah. So you, so you've got a problem, and you've got a protagonist, and they're and they're struggling against the problem. And then it's not like a bunch of people. Oh, we're going to get to help you. Over the course of the story, right? People come to it on their own. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, so, and I also believe in that. I think that community uh, and cooperation 
are are the keys of solving most of our problems. Yeah, that's probably true. Not yeah. all of them, I suppose. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, one thing I hate about fiction, about TV shows, movies, is is the character, There's a, there can sometimes be a character who thinks that they have to fight something on their own, mm-hmm. right? And it, they won't accept help. And it could be anything. It could mm-hmm. be... It could be their alcoholism. It could be their job. It could be whatever it is. They they tackle it on, only thinking that they can solve it. They have to solve it by themselves. And they end up consistently making it worse. And then finally in the end, they, oh, I'll accept your help. And then, and then they solve the problem. That is overused yeah. in, in fiction, in movies, in TV. It's overused. It needs to maybe take a break, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I, I I would rather see a group of people gather together and say, yeah, I think with all of us working on this, we should be able to solve this problem. But Or, or, or with all of us working on there, we're supporting each other. Right. Strength in numbers, safety in numbers. Safety you, can numbers feel, right. you can feel braver. Right. You can be braver if you know I'm here right. to be brave with you. Right. Uh, and I can be braver knowing that you're here to be brave Absolutely. with you. There was this scene in, I think, episode eight of The Outsider. I was watching my, my, with my wife. The group has kind of not cornered the entity, mm-hmm. but they're hot on its trail. Okay. And they're like a state away. They've all, there's like five people who've gone. And then there's a moment where a car drives up to the house that they're at and outsteps the defense attorney for the supposed child killer who has been who is on the opposite side of these guys okay and i pumped my fist i'm like yeah uh and my wife's like what was that i'm like they've got a cartet <laughs> like this is like i was i because i because i've read <laughs> i knew like oh it's they're gonna this is gonna work right. because he's on board now right and and it's very organic and uh i encourage you if you've got access to hbo watch the show the show is really good and at the and at the very end, I'll tell you this isn't a spoiler. At the very end, uh, oftentimes for people, the revelation of supernatural things in a very scary negative context makes them come to a place of like, oh well, if there's that, then there must be the good, right? And, and a belief that wasn't there in a god in the afterlife. Oftentimes, their struggle with the evil brings them to an understanding of the good. Mm-hmm. The detective Ralph has been struggling with you know the, the death, death of, of his, his son. son and at the very end he's sitting with his wife they visit the grave and he's you know and at, at some point in the story the entity kind of fools him like it appears to him as his, as his son oh wow and he said it's interesting he says to him you need to let me go so okay. what the entity is saying is you need to stop chasing me right but what he hears is the son saying you need to get over my death Right. So inadvertently. So at the end, he says, you know, I, I, he says to his wife, I've never told you, but Derek came to me, but it wasn't really Derek. Hmm. And she, he's like, but maybe the next time it will be, hmm. you know? And oh, it was kind of like good. And, and it was, it, again, it was that warming feeling at the very end. It's kind of like, this mm-hmm. is, this is so Father chip. I know you've got a soccer game to watch. I learned this today. Father chip is a, English Premier League fan. Right now, he's wearing an Arsenal jersey. jersey with his name on it. Yes. And what's your number? I put the number 68 on there because I was born in 1968. Okay. Now, Arsenal plays where? They play in North London. Oh, so is it? It's But they don't. It's not North London Arsenal. That's no. not the way they name their no, teams. It's, it's Arsenal. It's Arsenal. Yeah, it's just Arsenal. How many teams are there in London? This is oh, off track topic, but I don't even know. There's so many teams in London. There, there's there's the big teams like Chelsea, uh, Arsenal, um, Tottenham, Manchester United. Uh, Manchester United's in Manchester. So oh, okay, of course. I was you said London, so yes. Um, but and there's but lots there's, of smaller teams. But in there's London no too. team. It's not like the there's London like the, Union. No Jacks. London. You know, no. There's yeah. no no. No. Usually they're named after either a neighborhood yeah. or something that was involved in the Arsenal got its name because it was a team for a company that was a manufacturer of weapons. Yeah. And so 
their symbol is a cannon. cannon. A cannon. And their uh, fans are called gunners. Or, okay. Or gunners. Or, okay. And uh, that's what I am. And well, uh, but, but that you, game's not until later. But it's we not until later. We, but we need to so wrap what, it up. What, I know. What I'm gonna what I'm gonna ask you to do is yes. After you've watched your your match, yes. On the pitch. On the pitch. That's right. <laughs> My footy. If you got if you got time tonight, you have HBO. I think we do. Watch yes. the first episode. Watch the first two episodes if you've got time. Okay. Next time we talk, I'd just love to hear your thoughts. It doesn't have to be a whole show. I just like to hear. Somebody else who hasn't watched it. This always interests me. Yeah, getting other people, other people's opinions of it as they watch the. Sure, so I'd sure. like to, you know maybe give us an update on. I will try on progress. I will try. I'll I'll send you a text to remind you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> stop waste. Stop wasting your time. <laughs> One thing. Yeah, exactly. One thing I I just just to kind of put a bow put on a nice, Stephen King. Yes. Um, <clears throat> a few years ago, I have I have an interest. In the writing process, yeah, and so I read Stephen King's book on writing, yeah, and um, it was Great excellent. Book. Great book, excellent book. It's not a, all about writing; it's about life too. No, yeah, he he's he very, wrote it. He's very generous in that in that book, yeah. which I've also read. Is he gives you writing lessons while writing? Yeah. A, he's like, okay, I'm going to write a memoir, right? But it's going to really be a lesson on writing, right? Where he could have easily, very indulgently, be like, here's a memoir, and it's going to sell. Oh, yeah. Like hotcakes. Right. Absolutely. And I think by doing it this way, he wrote what I consider one of the one of the greater books I've ever read, yeah. to be honest. And he's he's I agree with you. He's he's underrated in a lot of ways because um, some people look a lot of people. Most people look at him as sort of this cheap pulp fiction kind of writer. Oh, he writes scary stories. It's not a big deal. But there are always underlying themes, uh, even when you're fighting vampires, yes. you know. And, uh, you know, there's always something to be learned. There's a lesson to be learned. Now, that being said, I think always, in my opinion, mostly, mo- most of the time, not always, most of the time, the books are better than the film ad- adaptations. The only thing that I might say is I think The Shining is better. There's this great the story. The original shine. The original right? shine. There's yeah. this great story. You can find it on uh, YouTube uh, of Stephen King talking about Stanley Kubrick. He famously did not like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, but right. he tells this story about uh, one morning he was in the shower, he was shaving in the shower, and his wife busts down, like didn't bust down the door, but she busts open the door. And this, he's, he's still... He's still a young writer at this point. Yeah. He's maybe starting to make some money. They've moved out of their trailer yeah. at this point. Right. But because he was living in a trailer I and know. he was writing, his typewriter was on the washing machine. Right. And he could only he could only work on his writing when they weren't doing laundry. Right. Uh but his wife comes in and she says, There's someone on the phone who says there's Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> and he's shaving and he's like, and he cut himself shaving. She's like, What? And he picked up the phone. He's like, hi, this is Steven. And apparently Stanley Kubrick just like, hi, Steven. Uh, I seem to, I, I'm of the opinion that uh, books about supernatural fiction are always positive. <laughs> he's like, I don't, I don't understand what you mean. Well, he's, he says, well, you know, stories about ghosts posit that we survive death. If we survive death, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> and Stephen King said to him, he goes, well, Stanley, what about hell? <laughs> and Stanley Kubrick, apparently Stanley Kubrick paused. He's like, I don't think I believe in hell. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, but I saw him, I took my mother to see him speak oh, at wow. UMass Lowell. She's the one, she was the big Stephen King reader. Okay. She got me into him. And uh, he was speaking at UMass Lowell years ago. And we got tickets and we went to see him. And he was great. He answered a bunch of people's questions. Uh, was it post-accident or pre-accident? It was post-accident. This was 2013. Okay. I remember vividly I was on a murder jury for two weeks. Ooh. And it was up in Lawrence. Okay. So one night, you know, and my mom doesn't like to drive at night. Ah. So we finished with the day of deliberation, and I had to drive to Danvers. Pick again, up your mom. Pick up my mom and then drive, drive back, back to Lowell. Oh, that's uh, a long ride. Got, it was at the Songus Arena. Oh, wow. And that's a was, big space. And it was very full. Wow. And he read us an unpublished story. 
he, he, he did an interview with a friend of his that worked in the uh, literature department at UMass Lowell. Okay. Just a conversation, very interesting. And then he asked us if he could read us a story. Oh. And he's like, this is unpublished. I don't know if it's ever going to be published, but I'd like to read it to you. And it was a great story, but I looked at my mom. He's reading us a story right now. Like, this is incredible. Like, this was, it was an incredible thing. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing that I thought was great. About it was amazing. It was amazing. You know? If, just think of your favorite storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Like, if your favorite storyteller told you a story, right, you, know, you right. and a couple thousand people, but right. you were there. Uh, and we, you know, we might be the only ones to ever hear this. <laughs> Except for all those other people on the speaking yeah. tour. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, no, it wasn't a speaking tour. He was doing a oh. fundraising event. He donated a bunch of money to oh, okay. uh, scholarship programs at UMass Lowell. I see. So this was also part of the fundraising. Ah, so it wasn't okay. a speaking series. Oh, okay, very or, good. He wasn't on tour. I, I, all right, understood. Yeah. But at the end, this is what I thought was funny. This is his sense of humor. At the very end, when they've wrapped up, he's like, guys, I just want to say one thing to you. When you're leaving, you might not know this, but um, gatherings like this are sometimes some of the most dangerous places. And it's not because of the number of people. It's because you got a big parking lot out there. And statistically, uh, 50% of the time at events like this, someone sneaks into the back of someone's car and hides in the back of their car on the way home and does terrible things to them. So I encourage all of you, please check your back seats before you leave. And he smirked. Well, that's creepy. He smirked. That's just creepy. And when he smirked, everybody laughed. Like they knew like this was a joke. But I tell you, when we walked out into that parking lot. Everyone checked their back seats. Everyone was checking their back seats. And I pictured Stephen King somewhere in some room at the Songus Arena. (laughs) All these people are checking their back seats. I thought you were going to say, statistically, someone is going to get hit by a car in the parking (laughs) lot. That would be that would be far grimmer. Yeah, because it would have been something that he experienced, yes. not in a parking lot, but he, oh, yeah. he did get hit by a car. He got mad. He got, he got mad. He, I don't know if you've you, well, you read the story. He, yeah. In in on writing, he talked yeah. about his his accident. Right. And uh, he gives a lot of credit to you know whatever higher power, whatever however he wants to phrase higher power, God. But he talks about okay, here are the factors that saved my life. And the factors were, like one of the factors were, I just happened to land on the small patch of grass that wasn't sharp rocks on the side of the road. Right. You know, and it's like there had to have been, like that's, there had to have been something looking over me. Right. Um, So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. I think there's more to him than meets the eye. And uh, he's, he's. Clearly you're a big fan. He's, he's getting on in years. He is. And. uh you know, I don't know. I don't know how much longer we're going to have one of the most prolific, creative minds of, you know, the, the second the second years. half of the twentieth century yeah. and into the twenty first. Yeah, no, it's a good point, and you know, those people are few and far between, right? Yeah. So, if you enjoy Stephen King, enjoy him for for now. He's, yeah. But he's always going to have that stuff there. He's always going to be. Um, and if you don't enjoy Stephen King and you want to get into him but you're not into – there's a lot of stuff that he writes that isn't horror. True. Look up his short stories, The Body, which is Stephen, which is Stand By Me. Yes. Uh, Rita Hayworth in The Shawshank Redemption. Right. Uh, the Green Mile. Yep. There's a lot of stuff that he writes that isn't the spooky stuff that you think of. And, yeah. And just seek it out. And if you're interested in, in writing and the craft of writing, check oh. out On Writing by yes. Stephen King. It's an excellent book. Uh, anything else, Brian? I, I will tell you the only, the, the most uh, sticking writing advice that he gave in that book, it sticks with me every time I write, is he talks about using adverbs. Mm-hmm. So I was terrible in grammar. Adverbs, words that end in L-Y. Right. Okay. Not, not always, but mostly. And he gives an example of his early writing. And he says how embarrassed he is. He's like, there are three adverbs in this sentence. This is a terrible sentence. It doesn't even read good. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Use adverbs as sparingly as possible. That stuck with me. There you go. Every time, even when I'm writing an email. Yeah. I'm just, you know. All right. Ooh, how many adverbs do I get? How that? many adverbs? <laughs> well, good advice from Stephen King <laughs> and our friend Brian. Yeah. And uh, 
So uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, it was a great conversation from my point of view, and I, I enjoy these kind of conversations um, even more, I think, than the straight reviews or things that we do yeah. uh, because I think they they bring out topics and discussion points that we might not have brought up. And, and I think they help you, the listener, to kind of get to know us a little bit as well. Um, so there's that. Um, well, I think that's no, an no, important thing. I, Why are you laughing? You always laugh when I try to I, sign off. I like the way that you sign. So there's that. So there's that. <laughs> anyway. Chew on that for a bit. Chew on that for a while. That's the rest of the story. Um, my name is Father Chip Hines. And, I'm and Brian you, Swift. And he's Brian Swift. We've been... <laughs> no, usually you give me a... I know. I was going to try, but you, you jumped in before I could do it. <laughs> and, uh, and this has been Never a Dull Movie. And it's been our Mixed Bag episode. And we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Never a Dull Movie. Never a Dull Movie has been a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. To learn more about this podcast and the other great podcasts on the Grexley Podcast Network, please check out grexley.com. That's G-R-E-X-L-Y.com. And if you're interested in supporting this podcast, please check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash grexley. When you join our Patreon page, you will receive early and exclusive access to unique content Thanks for listening to Never a Dull Movie, and we will see you next week.